Welcome to Always Andersonville, the podcast. I'm Charlie. This week, I am joined by Danny Fender and Adam Crawford, co-founders of the Understudy Theater Bookstore and Specialty Coffee Shop at 5531 North Clark. Named in honor of all the hidden work it takes to make a play happen, the Understudy is dedicated to celebrating, fostering, and uplifting artistry in our community in all its forms. Whether you're discovering a new playwright, trying their latest single origin coffee, or sharing thoughts in one of their book clubs, they create endless opportunities to get surprised, feel inspired, and shake something up. Danny, Adam, hello. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Hello, hello. Uh, so I always start by having our guests tell us a little bit about themselves, their backgrounds, and in your case, how the understudy came to be. Yeah, absolutely. So my name's Adam Crawford. I use he, him, his pronouns. I grew up in Columbus, Ohio, and I came to Chicago in 2016 to go to the theater school to Paul. And I've been really dedicated fan of Chicago and especially the Chicago theater community ever since then. So the beginning of the understudy started, let me let Danny introduce himself first. <laughs> well, I just wanted to ask what, what else was special about getting to go to DePaul? Oh, that's right. <laughs> so I met my husband, uh, Danny Fender there. There we go. It's like a little perk on top of <laughs> yeah. actually going to school in exactly. Chicago. Yeah. Uh, hi, my name is Danny Fender. I use he, him pronouns, and I'm the other owner of the understudy <laughs> coffee and books, along with my husband, Adam Todd Crawford, yes, who I met right. at the theater school at DePaul University. <laughs> I studied stage management and Adam studied acting. Uh, But before all of that, I grew up in East Tennessee, primarily uh, close to the Appalachian Mountains. Uh, I like to say Dolly Parton territory. Dolly Parton (laughs) is very important to me. Yeah, Uh, very important to our relationship as well. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, grew up in East Tennessee, started doing community theater when I was 12 years old, and the rest is history. I went to high school at Interlochen Arts Academy in Northern Michigan for boarding school, and then uh, moved to Chicago to study theater and fell in love with the Chicago theater community here. What I love about Chicago is that it has a small town feel, even though it is an urban area. And I love the range of talent and artistry that exists within the Chicago theater community. And so for us, creating the understudy is celebrating all of that work that goes into making theater and celebrating our community. Danny and I both have similar backgrounds of finding theater early in our lives. I grew up in Columbus, Ohio, which is not a huge theater town. But I have really, really early memories of going to the Ohio Theater, which is like a big 20th century movie palace, like black gilding and <laughs> antique brass and like velvet drapes and enormous fat cherubs looking down at you over the proscenium. And just the sort of wonder and the fantasy of that and thinking to myself, how do I keep having this feeling for the rest of my life? And so... That's what ultimately drew me to Chicago is I knew that Chicago had this incredibly diverse theater community. There's over 200 theaters here, though, of course, that's a changing number. But that is the thing that kind of drew me to Chicago and has stuck me here. And so to Danny's point, that was one of those early nuggets that drew us to thinking about the understudy before it happened is we remembered that feeling of just being curious about theater and wanting to surround ourselves with it and trying to figure out how can we find a place to do this and how do I find my way in? And um, so when COVID hit, uh, Danny was a working stage manager and I had just graduated from DePaul. 
And we started talking to each other about like, gosh, we miss theater in Chicago so much, but what is it about it that we really miss? And really what we realized is that we missed the community part of it and we missed all the people that we work with. Yeah. And, you know, to Adam's point, like uh, I grew up, you know, like I said, growing up in East Tennessee, in East Tennessee, I remember um, as a young queer kid, like actually when I first started theater, I would call the drama bookshop in New York and I would get recommendations for plays to read and for monologues. And for me, theater um, has always given me a sense of purpose. It's given me my friends. It's given me community. And, you know, like Adam was saying, I wanted to surround myself with that at any given time. And I feel like the understudy is just an extension of that. I feel like, uh, I mean, up front, I have a theater background as well. You know, I I went to a conservatory for college and everything. And I feel like it was always one of those, you find those people, it's one of those almost secrets that everyone knows that the- that Chicago is the Mecca, was the Mecca of theater, of plays. And you always had the people that wanted to go be on Broadway and go do for-profit theater in New York, or they wanted to go to LA and be in film. But Chicago, we knew it was like this underground sort of secret that uh, this is where you come for for theater. This was this was where the good work was being done. Mm-hmm. Well, because none of us could afford to go to London, so we. <laughs> we uh, but yeah, no. So I I, I definitely uh, empathize with that coming to Chicago and falling in love with the theater community. That's wonderful. So normally uh, this is a subject I will touch upon later in a chat. But um, I know you and the understudy in particular had quite a journey between conception and your opening, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, kind of such as a pandemic. Uh, We can't do a podcast episode without talking about COVID. I mean, I know that's expected now, but it's 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 and it's a it's a hot topic, but it's it's interesting to hear everyone's different challenges from it. But Mm -hmm. um, can you touch a bit on that process and the difficulties you faced opening this particular business as well. I think there's a stigma with anything theater related being, you know, impossible to to do when, even when you're not in a pandemic. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's a couple things I want to touch on. Uh, the first being that Adam and I planning the understudy was being planned alongside our wedding. Yeah, actually, <laughs> um, so we your and, registry was just donate to our understudy. <laughs> so yeah. May 2021 is when we had the idea that we wanted to to create the understudy, and we opened officially March 25th, 2023. So a pretty quick turnaround from having that idea. We started the next day. And then I proposed to Adam in October of 2021. So a few months later, and we really looked at one another and we were like, okay, we are going to plan a wedding in a year and also plan the business alongside it. Uh, Most people would probably not recommend doing that. Uh, (laughs) And our, our friends were like, you know, enjoy being married. And we're like, no, we really want to, you know, create this store. And honestly, it was so helpful because it really allowed Adam and I to develop a creative language with one another. And to be honest, you know, being being theater people, we couldn't help but our wedding having certain, you know, design choices being made and certain storytelling moments we had like, okay, you know, we are going to start uh, our service with a Mary Oliver poem. And, you know, we're going to you know dance. We want to dance with our moms and our mom's uh, wedding dresses are going to be on display um, since we're going to be wearing suits and just like all those choices of you know how to tell a story of our relationship together and then thinking about okay what story do we want to be telling with this space that we are creating yeah exactly i mean i think that that is 
to sort of loop it back to the COVID part of it, as a result of the fact that we were no longer working in theater actively, because nobody was, we had this creative part of our brains as, you know, Danny is a stage manager and has worked as a stage manager, but has always emphasized that stage managers are artists as well in the same way that directors and uh, actors are. And so we had this sort of creative itch in our brain that wasn't being fulfilled by working on productions. And so we were able to we discovered that we were able to take that same vocabulary and that same way of working with each other that we would have used to make a play to create the world and the story of a of a pretty high production value wedding <laughs> and then also to create a business and you know I, I joke with people that it was like running two shows except one was a very limited engagement and one is <laughs> one ideally <laughs> yeah one is ideally an open run yeah <laughs> so i think in a way that was one strange blessing of of having theater removed from us uh, and and not having our regular working environment because you know i wouldn't have i wouldn't have ever really really given serious thought to doing this if i was trying to be a working actor and no. trying to dedicate all my time that's to what that. you do exactly. when you're doing yeah. that that is what you do yeah i also think you know COVID allowed all of us collectively to take a pause and think about what we wanted our lives to look like what we wanted our lives to be and you know i really enjoyed getting to have evenings at home with Adam and cooking dinner together and, you know, having a, a business that's primarily, you know, taking place early in the mornings and, and afternoons. And we do events, but I had more evenings free. And so now I can see more theater, see more theater. <laughs> and also I'll, giving ourselves permission. I, when you're a working theater professional, theater can tend to be all consuming. I'm sure, you know, you know, this coming from a conservatory as well. And for the understudy, you know, it obviously, you know, came from this love of theater, but we also discovered a new passion, which was specialty coffee. Yes. And a fun fact is May 2021, when we had this idea of having a coffee shop and a theater bookstore, Adam and I were not coffee people at all, did not (laughs) truly did not drink coffee. And so people were like, Okay, so you're not coffee people, but you suddenly, you know, you're you're wanting to own a coffee shop. Again, yes. a wild, uh, it was a huge gamble, but... All of our friends were very concerned. Because, <laughs> uh, we dove right in, though. And yeah. I think, you know, that's why Adam and I work both as partners and creative partners, is that we just really are people who will go all in when we have an idea yeah. of something. Like, I know that together we really can accomplish anything because we know how to support one another and we allow ourselves to take those risks. So I started working coffee shop job adam started working at a bookstore and then we like switched a little bit and i went back to working in the theater a little bit and then adam started working at a coffee shop and we would just spend time we would read books we would try different things we would visit different coffee shops in the city for inspiration yeah we had like a pretty long spreadsheet of what we liked and didn't like about different locations and vibes and menus i have to say that Part of the reason we love Andersonville and just also Chicago in general is that we could not have accomplished what we have accomplished without so much help along the way. We are not self-made by any means. We always like to say we are community made and we have so much advice and wisdom from other small business owners in Chicago who you know sat down with us and shared their experiences. Um, the bookstore owners meet with us and talk to us. Um, Women and Children First hosted our yeah. very first pop-up 
Uh, Independent Bookstore Day. We, yes. we had a table outside of Women and Children First when we were still figuring out permitting and all of the not glamorous parts of opening <laughs> yeah. a business. But. All I had to show was a floor plan of what it was going to look like. I had buttons and cards to give out and that was it. But it was so generous of Women and Children First to share their space and not see us as competition in right. any way, but just to invite that sense of community. Thinking and say, in terms of abundance. Exactly. And so I wonder if that is in a way, an effect of COVID as well is that we had learned as a local community to take care of each other in a more active way. And every business owner we talked to shared time, said, if you want to see my financial documents and you have specific questions about that, I'd love to show that to you. If you want to talk about hiring, if you want to talk about HR, if you want to talk about all of these things that you know, we got into running a bookstore because we care about theater and not because we had any background in business or, or in any of that sort of logistical part of it. And we've learned for sure. I always tell people that if you want to open your own business, you have to find a way to care about every part of it. And that's, you know, down to trash pickup and replacing all of the gaskets on the espresso machine. I just learned how to do that the other day. <laughs> um, but the fact that we were immediately able to be held by a community of business owners who said, I will show you how I learned how to do this, or I will refer you to my guy who knows how to do this, that is completely invaluable. Well, and I think when when we all did get shut away, and especially mm -hmm. theater artists, we couldn't create the way we were used to. We didn't have that accessibility. I mean, you know, I know we were doing, you know, Zoom, play workshops or staged readings or something like that or zoom readings but we were all forced to find some we were finally forced we were put in a position where we have to find another outlet for that creativity and i think that's something I, one of the things i really love about andersonville is because it's so small business oriented a lot of these businesses started from these from the owners finding their creative outlets you know mm -hmm. uh, uh i mean even emma who we had on a few weeks ago for for rare form who just opened her brick and mortar store she just collect she just collected you know she she describes herself as a maximalist and she just collected all of these things and it was just what she, these art deco things it's what she loved doing and she turned it into her business so i feel like i mean i love to hear women and children first was so helpful because i feel like the expectation in any sort of business these days is that it's you know, capitalism and commercial and, you know, you've got to watch out for these competitors and these competitors, but it doesn't feel that way. No, no. honestly, you know, it drives traffic to each business. Right. I would say, you know, there's times where there's certain titles that don't make sense for us to carry in our stores. I mean, there's certain threads we can follow with books that we're carrying. Oh, does it have some creative element or is it like contemporary fiction or something like that? Um, but, something you know, that artists would inspire artists. But, you know, if we get a question about something that we don't carry, we'll say, oh, that's something we won't carry, but you should go down the street to women and first they can special order it for you yeah and i know that they have said you know when people come in and they have a smaller like drama section that they'll send people up our way and you know it's just great to be able to rely on one another in that way and i mean all sorts of customers off the street who make it all the way into the store sometimes all the way to the register with a pile of books and then they say oh it's a theater bookstore and so <laughs> <laughs> which yes. makes sense you know i think as far as I know, we're one of only two in the country. So it's not something that you'd walk in and immediately recognize as one of a, a type. Right. So 
it, it's really actually quite helpful to be able to say, no, that's not in our bookstore, but go two or three blocks down the street and I'm pretty certain they'll have it or they'll special order it for you. Yeah. And I'm always actually quite delighted when I come across people who I say that and they say, oh, where is that? Or, oh, what is that? Because in my mind- It's such a staple. Right, <laughs> right there. It's, yeah. it's, everyone knows where it Women is. Women and Children First is a Chicago institution. So <laughs> I want people, if I am the gateway to people finding out about Women and Children First, that is fantastic. You know, I'm I'm happy to be in community with all these other businesses in Andersonville because it's a wonderful community of people who, uh, you know, Alma at, at Hester, she said to us one time, she said she feels like Andersonville feels like Richard Scarry's busy town. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> nostalgic throwback. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, and I feel sometimes like it's either that or it's like I'm in a Hallmark movie Christmas village. Oh yeah. Where like I walk into every store and I know the name of the person behind the counter and they know my name. Like, have you ever had that feeling watching a movie where you're like, now come on, nobody's neighborhood is really like that. And then we have right. to throw a talent show to save the town yes. or something. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully that okay. hasn't happened for Andersonville yet. We need to meet later and start writing this movie or yeah, this play. I know. Yeah, because this is this is this is uh this is better. This is more than after school special thing that exactly. we're putting together we have. here. Andersonville's so funny in that way. You just see like the rotating cast of characters. Like yeah. I, I love our regulars, you know, for that reason. It's just, you know, again, nice to be a part of people's daily routine and right. to be like Adam said in community with all these businesses. Well, I mean, I have to say, you know, I was I wasn't just excited. I was excited not just for your opening, but thrilled at the immediate overwhelming positive response that you you had when you opened I mean you had that great article in the Chicago Reader which um, I will uh, link so everyone in the description so everyone can go see it it's this wonderful wonderful interview but I couldn't get in and get a seat for the first month you were open. <laughs> yes. I, I kept, you know, I kept meaning to come by and get pictures and everything. And every time I'd go in, the two of you would be running around doing work. But the the cafe was completely full all yeah. the time. And it was just, but especially as theater people, when you're doing shows, I mean, you just hope someone's going to show up. And yeah. and to see that, to see that, that response that you got was just so, you know, heartwarming. So, I mean, like, how was that for you? It was so beyond anything I could have ever imagined. I have like one big memory from opening day, which is, you know, getting the big pair of scissors yeah, from the Chamber of Commerce. Our ribbon cutting scissors. Which very, very sharp. Yes. Very, drama. very sharp. But cutting the ribbon and then opening the door. And I had in my left hand, the big pair of scissors. <laughs> and I had in my right hand, the handle of the door. And just being stunned by the fact that I couldn't let go of the door because there were so many people coming in all at once. And my my mom said to me, I'm going to take those scissors. <laughs> I think you need to go help now. But I could never have imagined the level of support that we got for this. You know, I think all along the way I was moved, especially as soon as we publicly announced what we were doing, you know, we, we got a, a write-up in um, Block Club and then a, another small article on the reader just announcing this is coming. Yeah, yeah. And I was so moved by the fact that a lot of people came out of the, came into the comments or just to post about the fact that, oh, I remember there used to be a drama bookstore in Chicago and it was called Scenes. And that meant so much to me when I was a young artist uh, 20 years ago. And or Act One. Or Act One, yeah. So there, there have been two drama bookstore cafes in Chicago, but there hasn't been one for about 20 years. 
And so- Which is so crazy when you think about it for the the theater city that Chicago is. I mean- That there hasn't been this resource here. And, you know, I think we learned why in the sense that it's a very logistically challenging business to to maintain. But the fact that basically immediately, as soon as we said, this is something that will happen, there was this small group of people online that were saying, I understand what this is and I can't wait for it to come back to Chicago. That was a real honor to me to be connected to the legacy of these bookstores that had had a real part of people's creative development and their creative communities. That was incredible. And we had one or two kinds of comments that we would get before we opened that made me feel like, I mean, come on. All right. There were people who would say like, oh, opening a retail store in 2023. That how interesting. You don't, you must not know anything about Andersonville if you don't know that this is a great place to be supported by a community and to take care of, uh, to have that sustained. Um, Also entirely likely they read the header of the article and not the actual article. Yes, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) And then people saying something like, oh, another coffee shop in Andersonville. Great. (laughs) But I think people found out pretty early that we're doing our own special thing. And I have just been moved by how enthusiastically people have supported us. I mean, for us to have done, we've never spent money on marketing. And the fact that every single day I get to share reels and TikToks and stories and Instagram posts that people go out of their way to talk about the understudy and to tell people about it. We were so immediately embraced by the Andersonville local community and by the Chicago theater community as a whole that people have gone out of their way to talk us up and to tell people and to show up and take meetings with their friends. And the Pierce local parent community has come in and started doing their parent group meetings with us. That has just been an unbelievable welcoming for the first six months of being open. Yeah, it makes me happy even right now. I'm like sitting here smiling. I'm like, oh, I'm so glad all this is working out. But um, well, actually commenting on that, then I know you already offer a number of like engagement opportunities to the neighborhood. You know, you have your book clubs, craft workshops, you've had listening parties. Uh, Can you tell me a little bit more about how some of those events developed, where the ideas came from, and then also like what just what you have going on now too. Yeah, I mean, some of those events uh, are self-produced by us. You know, we've had a couple of readings of new plays or published plays at the store uh, featuring our, our staff of barista booksellers in the cast, which is some fun stunt casting, I think. Like, <laughs> I, I always say, you know, we're making, we're putting on a show at night and we're making your coffee tomorrow morning. Yeah. Oh, it's rehearsal and your job are all in the same building though, I right? Know. Yeah, yeah, it's easier. Um, you don't but, have to get halfway across town yeah, to go to rehearsal. Yeah, I mean, and I just want to, you know, give a brief shout out to our, our team uh, in this moment because without them, you know, with so many of, you know, the events or things that we're curating or things that are on the menu that we're able to bring to the table are because of them. We have such an amazing team that brings so many different talents to the table and are so supportive and encouraging of the work that we're doing at the store. But we have two kind of different types of communities like on our team. You know, we have some folks who are primarily theater artists who, you know, work coffee is like a day job. And then we have people who are coffee professionals on our team who appreciate theater, but don't necessarily work in theater, appreciate it from the audience. And it's nice to have uh, those two perspectives in the theater, you know, like, and we're always learning um, from each other. Yeah. And I think, you know, because we're a brand new business, we kind of screened for our employees to be as excited about what we're doing as we are. And as 
full of ideas as we are, I always joke that like our whole team is like pathologically ambitious. We can't just <laughs> run a good coffee shop. We can't just run a really great bookstore. People keep coming to me during the shift and saying like, okay, but what if we added like an evening cocktail menu? Or like, what if we did this event that is going to involve a coordination between every person on the team? Or like, what if we all, after our eight hour shift, stayed here and did rehearsal <laughs> for a show? And we do we say yes to a lot of those things because it's just it's a great community of folks but from the ground up we did design the physical space of the understudy to be as responsive as possible to what the community wants and because we knew that it we wanted it to be a community space and so we knew that we would have our own ideas about pro- events we wanted to program or plays we wanted to read but the whole space is designed to move around and adapt to what other people want to do so Sometimes we program events in-house and then sometimes we get submissions through our website or through a conversation in the store about, hey, I would love to do a reading of my play here and I just need to borrow the space for an evening. How does that work? Or the other uh, community meetups, for example, you know, we had an event that was for trans and gender nonconforming theater makers, like a networking event, or we did a networking event with the stage managers association of just finding ways that we can do events that continue to support community because we've always wanted the understudy to be a neutral gathering space for folks who either work in theater or just love theater. Um, and have an appreciation for it. You don't necessarily have to be a working theater professional to find a title in our store or to find enjoyment in the space. Well, I mean, I think uh, like for anyone who hasn't been to the store, you know, it's sort of split into two parts. Obviously, you have the bookstore and you have the cafe. And one of the things that I love about it is the aesthetic of the two is different. Mm. So you're in the cafe and, you know, uh, it's it's a gorgeous cafe. It's sleek and it's it's I you know, it's very organized and um Uh, But then you cross this threshold into the bookstore and it's like you're walking. I mean, to me, it feels like walking into a library that's, you know, 100 years old. It's it has this completely different feel and it's, you know, not even a foot away from the other cafe side of things. And I feel even if you're not a theater person, you know, I'm a person that goes to coffee shops just to sit down and read a book at some point. Mm -hmm. That side of the store makes you want to sit in there and read a book, but there's always someone in the couches when I go and I can't sit <laughs> yeah. and read a book. You got to get there early. I got to get there strategic. early. But just the the aesthetic of the store is welcoming theater or not, you know? And then like you said, people don't even realize it's a theater bookstore and they find all of these things they want to read. But I mean, I just, I that's like, I think I want to try and make that my winter reading nook yeah, if I can get there yeah. early enough. <laughs> well, and it's, you know, like I was saying, it's fun to work together as a team to figure out what is possible within the space. I think, you know, with each event we do, we discover a new layout or what orientation of the space is going to fit this event. Uh, I think one of the events that I'm most proud of that we did as an event we produced called Cafe Queens. And this was kind of bringing two sides of the, the two sides of the store together and, you know, bringing these different communities together. But the first part of Cafe Queens was a drag show in which we featured up and coming emerging drag artists in the city. And then the second part of the event was a latte art throwdown. Uh, um, And so we had the, you know, like more artistic theatrical community with the coffee community together. And I felt like that event just really represented our values and who we are and how we wanted to do that type of event. And it was such a success. It was so fun to start with the drag and then, you know, move into the coffee portion. And we had our two hosts hosting in drag. (laughs) 
yeah it was very i mean sort of like <laughs> yeah an aesthetic disconnect like you were talking about earlier to see the two hosts in drag with their mics and then like the tattooed sort of goth baristas <laughs> with their steaming milk and and in very serious competition faces so like yeah they're they that cat needs to be perfect in that <laughs> exactly yeah art. Um, yeah. And I mean, I, I love your team. Every time I walk in there, everyone's having a good time. Everyone's laughing. You know, you never walk in and you have the feeling of people are like, well, I'm at my job today. You know, uh, <laughs> I mean, in some cafes and coffee shops you go to, it's, it's sort of, it's an assembly line and there's always the assembly line, but, mm -hmm. and I know you mentioned, um, your staff helps with the menu too. And in June, uh, yeah, it was, or May, May. Yeah, it was May. May. Mm -hmm. So um, Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month, Sharon, they made a drink, uh, the Purple Summer with ube in it. And I was obsessed <laughs> yeah. with that drink. And I just, I kept having this moment of like, please don't take this off the menu. Just <laughs> please don't take this off the menu. I know it's like a special drink for the month, but, and, um, you know, we featured a little write up about, about Sharon creating the drink in, in newsletter and everything. And it was just, they clearly spoke so passionately about their heritage and where the idea of this drink came from. Yeah. And I mean, as soon as you put it on the menu, you couldn't walk around Andersonville without someone carrying a, you know, cup of purple. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's so aesthetically pleasing. Yeah. It <laughs> is. And I mean, I've recently uh, started to experience Ube in Chicago more. Uh, yeah. And um, oh, it was so good. I mean, it was so, I mean, I loved to see that your baristas were the, or your employees were the ones that were helping create these these meaningful yeah. products. Absolutely. I mean, I think for any business owner, it is in your best interest to rely on the strengths of your team and, you know, give them that creative freedom and and any opportunity that you're able to. And I think we just really encourage everyone to bring their ideas to the table. And Adam, as Adam was saying earlier, when we were hiring, we really, we told everyone like we need folks who are willing to, you know, bring their ideas to the table and tell us what they think is going to work or not work. Because, you know, this has been a huge learning curve for Adam and I as well. Like we've never owned a business before. <laughs> and I think part of our background as theater makers is it's just such a collaborative art form that you have to rely on those different perspectives and voices to achieve that common goal. Uh, we have a lot of other exciting um, things coming up on the menu. We have a Latinx Heritage Month menu that we are going to be launching uh, September 15th. And the drinks are so good. Yes. I am so excited about this. <laughs> so good. I had like, I personally had a very limited hand in planning these, but everybody was so passionate about like getting the flavors just right mm. to, what they remember or what they grew up with. And that that was really, really rewarding. We had a lot of running back and forth across the street to yeah. Edgewater Produce and picking up cinnamon sticks and rice and condensed milk and just experimenting with stuff. So check, be on the lookout for that. Some house-made horchata, oh, Cafe Cubano. Amazing. Yeah. Ooh, 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 okay. Now I'm excited. But it's fun to pair those, you know, those menu offerings as well. You know, like what is the story we're telling in the cafe as well as on the bookstore side? Yes. So on the bookstore side, you know, we're so on the cafe side, we'll have the Latinx Heritage Month menu specials. And then on the bookstore side, um, we will have all of our tables like curating and with an emphasis on um, Latin stories. So and that actually leads very well into my next thing I was going to ask you, because, you know, I 
we've already established that you are the theater bookstore of Chicago, but <laughs> yes. I, I think of you as the theater bookstore in Chicago. And Danny, you and I just the other day when I ran into you, were talking a little bit about your curation and yeah. you were looking at plays right there. <laughs> I was. Um, and one of the things that I was so impressed about, uh, impressed with in college, we spend all this time going through the library looking for monologues, but we're very limited to the writers that are always available in the library. Yeah. Yeah. And you have a pretty extensive collection of um, international playwrights. Mm -hmm. And I've never seen, like, you might see a section that is sort of targeted towards international, but it's one shelf and it's, you know, uh, artists who are international playwrights who are also like already worldwide popular. Um, So I'm curious how you go about curation. And then specifically with these international playwrights, how you find them, where you find them, you know, where does that come from? For us, our goal with our book buying was to say as yes to as much as possible. And, you know, that comes from leaning on community recommendations. I think one of our early ideas that it's been so exciting to see come to fruition is the guest curation series that we feature in the store, where we um, bring in local Chicago theater makers and have them curate a list of titles, whether it's plays they've worked on or plays that excite them or, you know, books, poetry, whatever, anything that has been exciting to them in their practice. And I think that naturally brings in new titles. Um, But as we were, you know, shopping through like all these catalogs of plays, basically just saying yes to everything and, you know, taking a look at, you know, what's being produced at all the different regional theaters across the country or just making sure that we're having something for everyone. Yeah, and I'm not going to speak for other sort of book buying teams for other bookstores, but I will say that we naturally have to have an extremely hands-on process in a way that you might not necessarily have to if you run a regular bookstore because there's just not reps out there talking about these plays and bringing you the catalog and saying, okay, Michelle Obama has a new book coming out. You're going to want to buy a bunch of units of this. And because that's part of the sort of rhythm of a regular bookstore, we are sort of a whole store of the dustiest, least touched shelf in a regular bookstore, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because it just is not something that most people are spending their time and energy researching. So we had to learn as book, book buyers where to find all of this stuff. And it started with us looking at our own bookshelves and saying, okay, what's that logo? Uh, who, what publishing company is that? Wait a second, where do we find that playwright? That's I know they're getting produced all over Chicago or all over the country. And so we had to lean on our own knowledge and our own experience a little bit. And that was how we started the beginning of the curation section is, is just getting really curious and digging all over the internet, trying to find all of these very niche publishers and licensing companies. And and I think also, you know, customers will come in and say, oh, have you ever heard of this play? I saw it on this trip and I think you should carry it. Or, you know, for our coworkers, each one of us has a very different taste in terms of like what we like Mm -hmm. in terms of theater. And so we get a lot of different titles that way too. And we're always looking for new stuff and looking to expand our inventory. It's another one of those moments where we try to really emphasize being community made because in the beginning, it really was just me me and Danny making one enormous spreadsheet of every single book that was in our inventory on opening day. 
Uh, and then since then, it has been almost exclusively sourced from everybody else coming in with ideas or, yeah. do you have this play? No, I've never heard of it, but let's special order it for you. And then it's gonna be part of our collection. And uh, a first year student at DePaul in the theater program came in the other day because um, all of the first year class was starting, to, was doing a scavenger hunt and they came through the understudy. <laughs> and Found everything on the list. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, and it was so funny because someone came up and was like, oh, have you ever heard of the multilingual version of Our Town? And I was like, what? Never heard of it. And she was like, you have to get it. It's published. And we looked it up and it's a title that we can get. And it's now going to be something that we special order and have in our inventory now. Like, I had no idea there was a multilingual version of Our yeah. Town out that was published. And it's so exciting. Yeah. You know? And I think in, a, in one way, it speaks to a couple sort of of my like soapboxes or like things that I want the understudy to do for people. And, you know, we were chatting with uh, Mark Larson, who uh, is a local author. He wrote a wonderful book called Ensemble about the history of Chicago theater. Yes, I have yes. that book. Yeah. <laughs> highly, highly recommend. You can buy it at the understudy. But he was saying, oh, you guys are kind of going to be like, um, like the visitor center for Chicago theater, which I was so moved by, but it is something that I take very seriously that people come through the door and they say like, what, what cool play should I go and see right now? And I really try to give thoughtful recommendations for that. But also there's so many people, like I said, who don't know much of anything about theater in Chicago or theater in general. And so what I'd love to have the understudy be able to do is a celebrate theater as literature and that there's some incredible writing and some incredible thought that is built into the world of the 3,000 some plays that we have on our shelves. And also just to celebrate and emphasize the level of diversity in theater in terms of aesthetic and point of view and tone and style. And there is a whole group of people who come in who know about theater maybe only from what they read in their high school English class yeah. or what they saw at their community theater 15 years ago and who don't know about a lot of kinds of plays that they would be really interested in and are really excited about. And so that's something that has gotten only better and better. The more that we have encountered people who have different points of view and different tastes and different experiences than we have, who bring other kinds of recommendations into the store. So it's, it's, I think one of the most fun parts of the store when we get a new box of stuff that I've never seen before and I unbox it and I'm like, Danny, where did you find this? <laughs> yeah. Well, and it, the way I think about it is you've kind of achieved every theater company's dream oh. because, <laughs> you know, when you, when you, I, you know, I've, I've been a part of starting small theater companies. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of small theater companies start maybe last for a year, do a season and then kind of have to peter out. But writing your mission statement is always, of course, the first thing you have to do. And you also have to, they, you write your mission statement, you find your season you want to do, you kind of have to justify how your season fits into your mission right. statement. And one of my pet peeves with theater are theaters that can, that write a mission statement that's so vague and so out there because they want to be able to produce a whole bunch of different theater and different types of shows and different perspectives, but they also know they have to be marketable mm -hmm. and they're limited in what they can do because of either their mission statement or what people are willing to donate money for. And in a sense, you've kind of achieved every theater company's dream where you can have anything and everything that you want. You can represent any aspect of theater from anywhere in the world because you're not limited by 
this by a mission statement. You don't have to say, you don't have to try and keep something vague because you still want to explore other work. You can say, no, we bring in everything and we do it for this reason and that we love it and we want to expose people to it. So, I mean, you've kind of, I feel like you've kind of achieved what every theater really wants to achieve, but has trouble doing. Adam and I are both naturally very curious people. And I think, you know, it's just, again, following those threads of what's exciting to us and saying yes to as much as possible. And, Mm -hmm you know, finding something new. That's like my hope is that anyone who comes into the store can find something that they hadn't thought about before in some way. So, and I know obviously we've mentioned several times how there really aren't theater bookstores um, in the country. But in terms of, uh, you know, what kind of work are you off? Do you have right now that you're offering that you feel that you think no one would be able to find anywhere else unless they'd heard about it and, and ordered it from, you know, London or from Samuel French or something like that. Uh, like what, what do you have that you is special and unique to you? Well, honestly, and this is, you know, I, I sort of spoke to this a little bit ago and I was like, I understand why people maybe didn't want to put in the labor of running a theater bookstore is that just about everything is something that you can't find in a normal bookstore because most, so the big five is what we call the five companies in the book publishing world. They control 80% of the trade book market. Mm-hmm. Of those big five, they really only have one or two imprints each that publish any plays at all. And so with the plays that they do publish are, you know, Arthur Miller or um, the kind of stuff that is targeted toward, this is what you read in English class. Eugene O'Neill. Yeah, yeah. Eugene O'Neill. Or just so, republishing the Scottish play or uh, re- publishing the Scottish play over and over and over again. Exactly. Macbeth, sorry, we're not in a theater right yeah, now. Yeah, <laughs> you can say, I can say yeah. Macbeth. So I, I think one way to answer that question is that we had to figure out how to make accounts with all sorts of tiny academic presses and tiny distribution companies and like licensing companies for theaters that really don't do retail marketing. Like you, you're never going to see a Samuel French edition on most bookstore shelves because they just don't have accounts with that publisher because it's a whole other thing for plays for like bookstores to keep uh, track of and their job is already hard enough it's really hard to run a bookstore so many i think uh, probably 80 percent of the plays that are on our shelves it's physically not possible for another store to order for you because they just don't have the account set up and they don't know where to find it or how to find it and we've done that work to figure out all of the channels to get that stuff but um, that is both it, really cool and also really sad. <laughs> it is a yeah. lot of invoice tracking. I yes. will tell you that. <laughs> but I mean, we, we do get things in all the time that I'm really excited about. English by Sanas Tusi. It just won the Pulitzer Prize, right? This mm. year. 2023. 2023. And it's only available in an acting edition from Sam French. So that is a really, really relevant title that... A lot of people have heard about, but you can't buy it from a normal bookstore, but you can come and get it from us because we have a Sam French. (laughs) We have an account with Sam French. So, well, then I, you know, we've talked a little bit about theater that's happening in Chicago. Like people will come and ask you, what should I go see right now? I mean, I imagine you have a section in the store for Chicago plays and uh, plays for uh, and plays that are running at the moment, which is really cool. It's a good way to not only obviously sell your plays, but to get people intrigued yeah, and interested in absolutely. the Chicago theater scene. Yeah. Especially because um, there's always so many new students, you know, coming in either to, either to study theater or people constantly moving to Chicago. And it's exciting to, 
you know, share with them the type of theater that we love to see. Yeah. Like you said, your theater visitor center in Chicago. Exactly. And so obviously you're both still very keyed in in the Chicago theater scene outside of just running the bookstore. So, you know, one of the things about theater is I think more than almost any other industry or art that uh, you could be involved in, the trends change constantly. I mean, even someone plans a whole season and then all of a sudden halfway through your season, it's like, well, this play isn't relevant anymore, Um, which can be frustrating. Uh, But uh, so I'm curious what you how you've seen changing theater trends in Chicago or theater in general and how those trends may be influenced, may have influenced the understudy. Yeah, I think about this a lot because of where we are in, in our little corner of the theater community. But also, I think we spoke about this a little bit ago, that by nature of the fact that we all had to stop doing theater because of COVID, it made everybody who decided to go back to theater approach it in a different way. Because I think just about every theater person I know had the experience of saying, wait a second, I can do this other job that I picked up as sort of an emergency thing during COVID that pays me just as much, maybe more, that my hours are better and that I also maybe get creative enjoyment out of. Mm -hmm. What am I doing if I go back to theater? I have to be so, so intentional about what I'm doing if I'm gonna go back to this industry that is really, really hard to make a living in. And we've made it hard, you know, sometimes with rehearsal hours or with however that's gonna be. So I think the major trend is that there is a renewed interest in just taking a look at the structures of making theater. How to make it sustainable. Yes, exactly. And so, I mean, I think there's a lot of hand-wringing in Chicago right now for good reason about like what's happening to Chicago theater because there's a lot of companies that I love that are pausing their seasons or scaling back their staff. Like Looking Glass is a hard hit, you know? I love everything that they put on and they're pausing for a year and trying to figure out how they can recoup their budget and figure out how to move forward. Yeah. I think this is a natural part of the evolution of anything. I'm thinking about a book called um, Emergent Strategy uh, by Adrian Marie Brown. Which we sell at the understudy. <laughs> we do. <laughs> yeah. so we should just record that and have and have that looped in every time <laughs> you mention a book. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Which we sell at the understudy. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what I'm thinking about about that book, it's, it's from the world of like uh, activism and organizing. But she talks in that book about modeling our structures and the structures of our communities and the structures of our organizations around nature and looking at nature for creative patterns. And one of the biggest things that she talks about is that things die and that's natural. And it's unnatural for us to suggest that nothing should ever change. And so it's a sign of life and community that sometimes a group of people comes together and makes an amazing theater company and they do it for 20 years. And then they say, I, we all want to move on to different things. And so the seeds are scattered and the new plants are started. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm, I feel very, very lucky to be starting the understudy right now at a moment when there is a lot of new creative growth, even among all of the changes and the hard losses and the scaling back of seasons and all of that. There's a lot of theater that, I think is built not from a place of scarcity, but from a renewed interest in abundance and doing the one thing that this theater community, this theater company is really excited about. And I think it's easy to get lost in the pessimism of the state of of theater. And, and, you know, I totally understand all of that. It's all very concerning and it's all very valid. (laughs) 
But I, it is my hope that, you know, by investing in the understudy and having that community space that, I don't know, it's just a reminder of like why we love this yeah. at yeah. the end of the day. So, I mean, I, I want to take some time and just like talk about some companies that are exciting to us. I'm, the Story I, Theater. Yes, the Story Theater. They've got a great model where they don't announce a season. They work on a play with their... Um, governing ensemble. Yeah, the governing ensemble. Instead of having an artistic director, it's a group of people that get together. They decide the play that they want to work on and workshop and write together. They most recently did a show called Marie Antoinette and the Magical Negroes, written by Terry Guest. That won the non-equity bet, Jeff, for Best Director and for Best Script last year. Uh, and so that's an incredibly exciting community. We got to do a little workshop reading privately for them that is just based on people getting together and working on something that they're really excited about yeah. and doing it for as long as they want to do it and then letting go of it if it's not working anymore and trying something else. Um, I'm always pointing people right down the street to the neo-futurists. Oh, I think they're so awesome. Right. Yeah. And again, it's about that spirit of just being curious and creating something new. The fact that they are rolling a set of dice every Sunday and deciding how many new plays that they want to write for the Infinite Wrench. That is incredible to yeah. me. I'm so excited about Steep and their new theater. I've loved everything I've ever seen from them. Our neighbors, Bramble Theater Company, uh, they're opening up uh, the Bramble Arts Loft just a few doors down from us. And that's going to be an incredible resource to the right. community. Because it's not just their theater, it's also going to be a rental space. So uh, it's a new hub right there on our block for people to create theater and do something because they're excited about it. Yeah. So that I think is the trend now is if if I have to if I have to name something as a trend is not doing theater primarily because it's your job, but primarily because it's something that you have a creative urge to do right today. I mean, not forever, but today. <laughs> there's, there's unfortunately a poisonous atmosphere in theater where the idea, at least in this country, is you, you're doing it and you're doing it for free because you love it and yeah. it, it needs to be done. Right. I don't think people outside of theater, like they might go see plays, but they don't really understand how much work goes into putting on yes. a play. Yes. And I'll t a very short story, but I was directing a play in Pittsburgh and my, my brother, I ended up uh, having him come in as my assistant director and he'd never been in theater before, but he was interested. He wanted to get involved. And we got to our first rehearsal and I'm sitting there and I'm going over and this was a play with 13 actors in it. And we're going over everything and I sit down and I say, okay guys, the rehearsal schedule is we're going to have Mondays dark. We're going to rehearse Tuesday through Saturday or Tuesday through Friday from this time to this time. Saturdays will be sort of a tandem day where we'll call in certain scenes. And then Sunday we'll be here for two hours for an afternoon rehearsal. And we walk out of the rehearsal and he says, I have to be here every day. Like, yeah. What did you think we were doing? You know, you, when you're doing theater, you go to work, you go to rehearsal you go home, you go to work, you go to rehearsal, you go home, and then you, you do the show and then you crash for a week and then <laughs> yeah. you start the next one because you have to be constantly looking for the next one. But I think I've seen what, you, what you're commenting on is that we're theater people are reclaiming yes. theater and what they we're not doing it because we love it because we're, you know, people are telling us you're going to do this for free because you love it. You're we're refinding what we actually do love about it and yeah. doing that work. Yeah, I'm thinking about there's this really specific old theater mentality that's like, you know, the song from a chorus line, What I Did for Love, that there's this romance to the sacrifice of, of just giving it all up for the theater. 
And I don't think we need to do that. No. <laughs> I don't think that that's inherent in making a good piece of art. And so in our own weird way, that's something we're trying to do with the understudy is lower the stakes for interacting with theater. You don't have to give everything up to be part of my community. Just come in, maybe buy a cup of coffee and look through some plays on the shelf. And so I think kind of going back to the first thing we talked about, which is that uh, that kid, me in Columbus, mm. Ohio, who saw the Ohio theater and, and the beauty and the drama of the, the big fat cherubs over the stage and the red velvet seats, and that excitement and that joy, that's always what we're trying to center at the understudy is the beauty, the excitement, the discovery, the curiosity that is inherent in why we love theater, not any of that grind or sacrifice or lack. So, yeah. And I mean, with that grind, inevitably, your, your theater company puts on what, three or four shows a year? Yeah. And, you know, you work your butts off to do that. And hopefully people come to your show. But, mm-hmm. you know, you have the ability to... I might, you know, my next thing I was going to ask you was about just accessibility because, um, you know, you're offering an avenue for anyone unfamiliar, either unfamiliar with theater or unable to regularly attend shows, either because of cost or um, distance. And, you know, you're offering them an ability to the ability to engage with the art. Yeah. Early on, I had a customer come in just I think he they wandered in from off the street and he was like, so can you tell me why should I care about theater? I was like, whoa. (laughs) I mean, it was was like, okay, heavy hitting question, you know? And here's the thing about that question is that he he was genuinely curious. He was like, so like, what what can theater do for me? Like, why should I care? And that gave me an opportunity to create a conversation of, well, here's what theater has meant to me in my life. And I said it earlier, you know, it, you know, I, it gave me a sense of purpose. It gave me a community. Uh, I cared about storytelling and for me watching theater and seeing a story unfold, the, the liveness of it is so exciting. And the collaborative nature of working with the team, like all of those things are why I loved it. And he, he said, great, you really taught me something today. And he walked out. And I don't know if he ever came back, but it was really wild to be asked in that moment, you know, why should I care about this thing? You know, just because Adam and I love it, you know, doesn't mean that everyone's going to love it. But I, I, we've had people from the neighborhood wander in and they're like, yeah, I'm not really like a theater person or really a creative person at all, but I love the environment that you've created. And honestly, that is a huge win for me of, you know, I want people to feel comfortable in the space. I want them to be curious even if it, theater isn't something that they inherently gravitate towards, if they can have a really good cup of coffee and sit and have a cozy afternoon or a cozy morning, if they're able to find a spot, then, you know, again, that's a win for me. If they're able to find a spot. <laughs> My dream still is to one day get there and have like a thunderstorm start right when I sit yes. down on one of the couches and then just you know, try and not work and take out my book and actually just start reading my book and yeah, yeah. study in a thunderstorm. Winter's going to be very cozy, I yes. think. And fall. Agreed. <laughs> Our fall, yeah. Just all the seasons. Um, all the pumpkin spice menus. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, well, I mean, in one of, I was going to ask you, you told the story about this kid that comes in and, and, and asks, why should I care about theater? And I think, uh, you know, before we started recording, we were talking a little bit about what the impact of theater is on, you know, not just our neighborhood or our city or our, our country, our humanity. And it can be difficult to sort of gauge that impact. You can't necessarily say, 
theater saved this many lives this year or right. theater, you know, raised as a whole, raised these many dollars for these many organizations. I guess my question is, Ala, this kid coming in and asking, why should I care about theater? Why are theater perspectives important? Like, why does that make sense? You know, why why is telling a story from a theatrical standpoint? And even if it's just reading the plays, because there are times when even just reading stage directions in a play gives you a lot of, of a lot of uh, really builds, uh, you know, an image in your head. So not why should I care about theater, yeah. but why is theater necessary in as a medium in the way that it tells stories? Yeah. For me, like I was saying before in that story, it's the liveness of it all. Theater is ephemeral. And I think there is something really beautiful and special and unique and present about being in a room uh, in community with a group of people for a certain amount of time. And you get that performance and that performance is never going to be the same as the last performance. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, because of all the people in the room, it's something that we've been talking about throughout here that that sense of community is so important to me. And sometimes that means the broader Chicago theater community. And I know that I have something to talk about all sorts of people in the city with, because as soon as we find out, oh, you went to theater school. Oh my God, let's talk <laughs> oh, about, yeah. you know, and then Immediate we have- Immediate kindred spirits. Exactly. <laughs> so that's wonderful. But then I think the most special thing is the community that exists one time. And that is the audience in the room sharing the space with the performers. And I think to me, it is a rush I can get nowhere else to be in a theater and have, know that everybody else is holding their breath at the same time as me, or that we're all laughing at the same time. And how good does it feel to laugh in a room with 200 other people it's like that the we same, all share that? It's like the same feeling you get at a really good concert, but sure. just in a different more distilled way, mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah. yeah. Well, and especially when it's a smaller audience, I think, you know, I was always a big fan of sort of experimental alternative yeah. and even I'll go into thriller horror. Yes. Theater, but yeah. One of, I mean, I've always thought fear is actually a better way of connecting people than uh, one of the best ways of connecting people, because when you put them in a situation they're uncomfortable in, they sort of are forced to start talking to each other. Yeah, yeah. And that moment when you, when you've put on a show and if say you're the director or the stage manager and you're sitting in back and you see these people that don't know each other start to kind of talk to either either break attention or even just be like, that was amazing. You know, I loved that thing that happened. It really, that's what puts a smile on your face is, is that yeah. we just made a connection. You know, we just encouraged a connection or encouraged some empathy or encouraged someone to think about a situation differently than they would have. And we do, I mean, Chicago is its own unique kind of city because we're in the Midwest and people talk to each other on the street and my neighbors say hello to me <laughs> even if so I don't weird. know them. Yeah. It's so weird. <laughs> Sometimes I'm almost caught off guard by it because <laughs> I'm like, oh, wow, I really didn't expect people to be that friendly. But we still live in a city and we don't talk to each other on the train and we don't make eye contact on the street sometimes. And there are moments where theater makes you do that. And it, it's really a special thing. It's making me think about, I saw a Gloria by Brandon Jacobs Jenkins at The Good Men. And that play starts out as sort of like a funny workplace comedy, but very light. And then the end of act one has a brutal, violent, shocking plot twist. And I'll never forget the feeling of the blackout, the curtains going down. And there was this roar of people starting to yell at each other, basically in the audience, because they were so amped up by what they had just seen. Everybody around me who wasn't talk, who didn't come in together was suddenly saying, oh my God, I didn't think that was gonna happen. What is that? <laughs> and so that's a very, very special thing to me. And I think that just the bottom line here is that theater is important 
not necessarily because it changes lives or changes minds or anything like that, but because it's genuinely pleasurable. And I think that we need to create space in everyone's lives to experience that. And so in our little way that we can invite people where the ticket of experiencing a play is, you know, $11 instead of, you know, just the price of the paperback as opposed to some of the much higher prices that you get at the regional theaters around here. If our little thing can be providing pleasure through theater in that way, that's that's really important to me. Hmm. Not to mention the intimacy of it being smaller. Yes. I mean, I, yeah. I, I've, what's one of the things that draws people to Chicago, I think, is the, the level of storefront theater that's here. And you'll hear a lot of people say, I saw the best show I've ever seen for six dollars yes. at this little that this this theater company did in the basement of this church yeah. and it's yes. not even like there and you know you can go to all the large theater companies but sometimes that show you see with just 10 other people in the audience is the one you never forget yeah you know and i mean i think that intimacy is kind of what helps create the camaraderie between people that either Ha are from you know completely different walks of life but managed to find something similar to talk about or yeah. or maybe actually finally have a moment where they're like wow i've never understood that situation from this person's perspective before and yeah. uh even have a moment where they say i'm never going to understand that perspective but i'm glad that i've been exposed to I'm, i want to have a conversation now i want to i want to talk and i want to learn more about it all right well then my last and most important question for you what are you reading right now? I'm reading Orlando by Virginia Woolf, <laughs> yeah. which is um, and obviously an uh, older text. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I'm reading it because one of our guest curators, uh, Maddie Doppelt, who is a uh, playwright here in Chicago, as well as associate artistic director at the Actors Gymnasium in uh, Evanston. She recommended it to me and it was actually adapted by uh, playwright Sarah Rule. Uh, oh, and so Chicagoland local. Yeah. So I, with, with with every new thing that I read, I try to switch genre right now um, just so I could have something to say about every single part of the store and just kind of keeps me on my toes in terms of what I'm reading. But yes, Virginia, uh, uh, Orlando by Virginia Woolf. Mm -hmm. I just finished Fat Ham by James Imes, which was our first ever play reading club pick, which was very fun. We just did our first meeting of that. And it was really cool to just sit and nerd out about the specifics of a play for an hour or two. And that is a great example of theater as literature that I would push to people who don't read plays that often, but would be a great one to get into. Also, in my leisure time, I'm reading Parable of the Sower by Octavia Butler, which is a really great, very disturbing science fiction novel. Love it. Because it's it. set in California in 2024, and she wrote it in the early 90s, I believe. Uh, <laughs> distressingly prescient, but a really, really good book. It's kind of like a, I, I rewatched Soylent Green recently oh, and Soylent Green is set in 2022 and mm -hmm. it's sort of about the 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 end of the environment as we know it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's sort of a, it was a, a little uh, a little jarring. But uh, and actually uh, the playbook club that you were talking mm -hmm. about, the, can anyone join that? Yes, we are waiting to announce uh, the next date for September. But our goal is that once a month uh, we will announce a play. People can pick up the play at the understudy and then we gather and talk for about an hour ish about the show um, after the store closes. I yeah. will be there. Yay. <laughs>
But do you have any other events or anything coming up that you wanted to talk about before we we close out here? Yeah, we're really excited about Andersonville Arts Weekend. We have Summer we uh, yes, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's going to be so fun, and I'm very excited. This is our first one. Yeah, that Friday night on the 29th, uh, we have a drag show that we are um, planning right now, along with some of our coworkers. So um, details to come on that one. Details <laughs> to come, and then um, on the side of our building is a mural that was painted by local Chicago artist Joe Craft. He's going to do some live portraiture on that Saturday, September 30th from 11 to 4 is the plan right now. And then who knows, maybe some other things coming up, but readings, uh, trivia, yes, networking events. So head to our website, theunderstudy.com backslash events. I'm always updating that. Please get on our mailing list because you'll get a roundup at the beginning of every month of all of the things that we know are coming that month, plus some pop-up events going on. But uh, yes, readings, more latte art throwdowns coming in the future. <laughs> More <laughs> and uh, you said this exciting new menu coming out. The Latinx yeah, menu Latinx in September. Latinx Heritage Month menu launches September 15th. Yeah, followed swiftly by the fall menu. On October 15th. <laughs> <laughs> so stay tuned. Um, but yeah, overall, we're so grateful to be here in Andersonville. We love Truly. the community and it just makes every day going to work that much better. Thank you. We're very, very happy to have you. Um, well, Adam, Danny, thank you so much for joining thank me today. You. If you want to learn more about The Understudy, uh, you can go to theunderstudy.com. Follow them on Instagram and Facebook at The Understudy Chai. You can sign up for their newsletter. Keep an eye out for more information on upcoming events. And as they mentioned, Arts Weekend is coming up September 29th through October 1st, where you can see a drag show and as well as their artists doing live painting at the store and a ton of other artists around Andersonville. Thank you again, gentlemen. Mm-hmm.